Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you are listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast where we connect the dots for women storytellers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And today I get to sit down and chat with Akia McKnight and she has been embarking on her film career for the last five years. With an obsessed love for writing and storytelling in multiple capacities, the PR professional turned writer-producer. Akia has written and produced five short films, as well as worked on productions such as Survivor's Remorse, Atlanta, and MTV's Scream series. She's currently working at Tyler Perry Studios in the production department. The Connecticut-born and Atlanta resident plans to tell full spectrum stories of women and minority experiences from all over the world. So y'all know the drill. Welcome Makia to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Great, great, great. So I have been waiting to talk to you because I feel like we have been like DMing and liking each other's Instagrams forever now. <laughs> yes, it's like a chase. It's so fun. <laughs> it is. That's what help, happens with all creators. It's like you see somebody, you're like, oh, wait, I like their work. Let me follow them. And then yeah. it turns into, oh, we're going back and forth. So I can yeah, do it. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm excited that we are making this happen because, um, you know, it's so important for us to do this as, you know, women of color in this industry you know we have to really band together so really excited me too so I always try to try to start off with like kind of quirky questions or things that people always want to know so what was your day like today like how was your day as a filmmaker slash creative today tell us like how your day ran Oh, wow. Uh, so my day was, uh, it was pretty busy. You know, as you know, I work in production. And today I actually had to make a set visit for a project that I'm working on. But in between that, I'm also in post-production for my, uh, I'm actually doing my own podcast, but it's a scripted podcast. So it's a series that I have that I'm producing. So I was, you know, following up on that, trying to set up ADR sessions for my actors, as well as you know, emailing people about screenings for my other short films that I have. There's a lot of um, following up with people and a lot of, like, connecting with new people today. Okay. So, you did mention your podcast, and I do want to talk about it, because I looked, I was like, oh, I have to listen to it. Um, (laughs) Because I'm starting to see, well, we can talk about it now. Um, Tell us a little bit about how, why you um, decided that you wanted to do this, and where did you get the idea from? Um, I uh, originally, when I was in college, kind of always want to do, like, radio shows. I never got the opportunity to do that, so I've always had, like, a plan to one day do some type of audio project I never really knew what it was and I'm a huge fan of podcasts as you know Mm -hmm. um and one of my favorite podcasts is um Bronzeville Mm -hmm. so I'm like a really big fan of Bronzeville and I just was like you know I would really like you know test my you know talent to see if I could create a series and keep people engaged through a a scripted podcast so I just decided I was going to do it and um my podcast is going to be called District Queen Mm-hmm. And it's really about a girl named Margo who's a flight attendant 
who is kind of at a crossroads in her life and she needs a, you know, a very exciting, mysterious man. What she doesn't know is that this mysterious man and his uh, mom actually, they run an escorting business, international escorting business. So it takes you on the journey of her, you know, falling in love with him and kind of figuring out what this life is about that he needs. I already want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting over here like, that sounds like a really good story. Yeah. Mm. And I got the idea um, just from, you know, I've met a lot of people in my life who, you know, has had interesting careers and I've always wondered about why they chose those paths. So I wanted to explore that and also just show like the humanistic side of why people choose certain um, career paths or certain lifestyles that they lead. I like it that, yeah, I have some Thank you. ads on that. <laughs> so yeah, we but we're going we're gonna to get you a uh, advanced listen. <laughs> yes. I, I want to hear it. Then I can um, talk about it. Cause yeah, that sounds really good. So would you say that you've always been a storyteller? Yeah, I would definitely say that because, um, ever since I was little, I was always interested in, um, listening to life stories being told in my family my grandmother told me lots of stories about you know just growing up in the south and stuff and I would listen to those stories and I would tell those stories to my friends at school or if I learned something new because I read a lot when I was young I would tell like that story to people that I knew I was just like always fascinated by stories I'm a I'm a curious person in general so I like to learn I like to spread knowledge that I learn so you're naturally curious, and this is something you enjoy doing. Have you done any mm-hmm. anything specifically to like um, work on your craft to make it better? Are there any like tips or tools you have for those people who, let's say, they do like jot down in journals and they realize like, hey, I actually am a good storyteller, so I'm thinking about being a screenwriter. Do you have any suggestions for those people? Um, I, w- I would definitely say um, read as much as you can. Read every book that you can about whatever craft that you are trying to do. Um, I honestly watch a lot of um, documentaries. I watch a lot of interviews about directors, writers, and producers that I look up to. So I watch them because I, I think that studying people who have mastered the craft that you're going after is one of the best tools that you can do because they've, they've already set the, the pathway for you. You just have to follow the steps, but also, you know, add your own steps into it. But yeah, like really paying attention to who's doing something great in your um, field. Um, taking, taking classes, not necessarily going to per se, you know, a college for it, but like just taking classes. It could be one-off classes. It can be online classes, but always like taking like extra um, education around that pathway okay and also and also like just getting like experience like if you have to volunteer or you know find your way onto a set or find your way into a writer's room like even if you're not getting paid for it like just do it for the experience and I'm glad that you brought that up because um if you listen to the show before, I'm such a research junkie, so we kind of have that in common. I know, I've heard. <laughs> so I did some research, and it's funny that you said that because I saw before where you were speaking, and you said that basically how you got your foot in the door, or I guess just the opportunity to learn more, 
was by volunteering at film festivals. So Mm -hmm. take us through like, why, well, how did you even say like, this is something I'm going to do. And then like, what did you learn and what film festivals um, would you suggest someone volunteering at? Mm -hmm. So um, before I was a filmmaker, I worked in the PR industry. So I have been doing all types of different types of PR, you know, fashion, health, all this stuff. And then I had a friend who was, um, she was working at a film festival and she was like, hey, um, would you be interested in helping us with the press, like doing the red carpet and stuff and making sure, you know, people get all their interviews. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And she's like, it's going to be at a festival called um, American Black Film Festival. I had never heard of this film festival before ever. Mm-hmm. And she offered me the opportunity to come just help out. And I said, yes, and I did it. And I just literally like, fell in love with like all I I talked to like all the filmmakers and I was like wow like you know this is what I really wanted to do for a long time but I never knew how I could get into it or I never really saw people who looked like me that were successful like within my reach so being at that film festival seeing them talking to them hearing their stories I was like wow I really can do this um so definitely ABFS is kind of like where I got started Mm -hmm. in general I'm in film um Urban World is another one I worked for. Um, I've also done um, New York uh, Film Festival. But I would advise, like, you know, any film festival in your area, like, just do it. But, you know, ABFF is is a big one for sure. Pan-African American in L.A. is a big one as well. But, yeah, just even if it's a small festival, like, just being there and Mm -hmm. sometimes being at a small festival is even better because, they're less kind of like high strung. They're really like there to just talk to people and kind of like you can really reach them better. Okay. So take us back a little bit. Um, so you did work at film festivals. How, people see you today. Like they will look at your bio and say, okay, you are working at Tyler Perry Studios. You've been able to work on Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but how did she get there? So can you take us... Mm-hmm through your like journey of basically becoming a filmmaker because I know you didn't technically like go to school to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've always, you know, wanted to be a filmmaker. I was, I've been writing since I was probably 12 or 13. I started off writing short stories and I've won like a lot of contests writing short stories when I was younger, but you know, in high school I took film analysis and, I really just thought I was going to be a director and writer and all this stuff. But I actually kind of turned myself away from it because I didn't have anybody to really guide me, you know, to whether I should be going to film school, whether I should be going to, you know, different things I should be doing. I had no one to really guide me because no one in my family ever really embarked on entertainment. And I'm from an area that's not, I'm from Bridgeport, which is 45 minutes from New York. But it's so, like, removed because it's so, like, just blocked off. So I didn't have anybody to kind of show me. And I, and I personally really didn't see many Black women writers and directors that I felt like I could learn from. So I kind of just took the route of going to school for PR instead. Still writing, so it kept me in there with the press releases and stuff. But after college, I was working in PR. And every, like, job I was getting, I was getting laid off or the company was closing or I was doing freelance PR and, you know, clients weren't paying me. It was just, it was just insane. And I was just like, I got to figure out like, what am I really supposed to be doing? Because 
everything else has fallen to the wayside. So I just started like learning how to write screenplays on my own. Like I read books like Save the Cat. Um, I watched so many YouTubes and I just studied and studied, taught myself how to write scripts, started writing scripts, different ideas just coming. And then after that, like I started working at, you know, film festivals. And I started trying to figure out if I could do this or not. And then I started like um, volunteering on indie web series and short films in New York. Uh, I worked on um, how to be a millionaire for a couple of like day playing days. I was an audience PA for them. And after that, I was just meeting people, like meeting different people. People were like, hey, I'm working on this. Can you come help me with this? Even if it was free for no money, I would just go do this to be involved. I would email, like I would go on IMDb and like see who were on different like films and TV shows. And I would email them. Like I was, I was emailing PAs. I was emailing coordinators, hair people, just emailing and see if they had like leads for me on anything. Um, and I would just keep trying. Sometimes I didn't get a reply. Sometimes I did. But I think, like, at the film festivals, it connected me with people that, like, I'm still friends with today that have, like, gotten me jobs, that have referred me to people. But then, you know, work was kind of drying up in New York. And I was just like, all right, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So then I moved to Atlanta two years ago. And I got here. And honestly, like, when I got here, I didn't have many connections in um like the industry here, but I had a lot of friends who were like indie filmmakers. So like I would go work on their stuff, help them. And then I was an extra for like a couple of months on different shows here. And when I would be extra, I would talk to the background PAs and I would be like, hey, so how did you get this job here? Like, you know, how do I go about doing it? And then I got the information. They started calling me to day play on certain stuff. And then I would go out here and go to different, like, Black women in film events. I would go to every screen I could get myself into. Um, I was blogging as a film blogger, so I would get invited to stuff. Um, And I would talk to people. It was literally me just hustling, going out and talking to people and telling them what I could do. And even if I didn't know everything about the position, I would tell them, like, hey, I'm a fast learner. I can figure this out. I was just selling myself to everybody. And people just... People just know other people, and when they when you go out and tell people what you want to do, they remember that, and you have to follow up with them, email them, stalk them on Instagram if you have to. Like you just have to like keep following up and keep keep selling yourself all the time. And eventually, I actually I never had met this woman. She's a director, but I would talk to her all the time through email. And one day, she said, "Hey, I have a uh, coordinator looking for someone to work in the office of Screen MTV Screen." And she was like, I'm going to refer your resume. And I was like, okay, you know. I had never worked in the office. I was always a set person. And I went from set to office. And then ever since then, it's just like, job of the job has just been coming. But it, it's random people. And you just spreading yourself out and let people know what you're doing. Yeah, so I was going to say, would you say that relationships are really important as a filmmaker? Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't think that as a filmmaker, you can you can't get far without relationships because you got to have relationships with actors, relationships with hair people, relationships with people that own screening venues, like people that write for the press. Like you you have to just know these people and be like, hey, I got this idea. I'm working on this. People that like people want to work with people. So if they like you as a human in general, they'll Mm want to promote your work or work with you. So yeah, I think relationships is the, the main thing that you need. Even if your talent isn't the greatest, 
if people like you, they'll try to cultivate your talent or help you to get better. I agree. Yeah. Because you can have talent and have the worst attitude and nobody wants to deal with you. Exactly. Okay, so what was your first official job as a filmmaker? Um, like my like me creating my own stuff or like working on a show or film? Working on a show or a film. Uh, my first official um, job was in 2016, and I was a script supervisor for a film called Love by Chance. Um, that was my first official job in um, film. That's, well, I, could, I guess, I mean, working as an audience PA for How to Be a Millionaire was, but it was really day playing, so it wasn't like a full, like, staffing. So mm-hmm. I consider this one more of my first because I was staffed with the whole project. Okay. And how did you like being a script super, supervisor? Because usually it's so funny um, when I talk to people and we are like just talking about filmmaking and you're like, oh, you know, I'm working as a script supervisor. They kind of like look at you like, what? What is that? Um, so how was your experience script supervisor? My experience was um, it was it was good so, because I had never done script supervising before. Mm-hmm. But they knew that I was a writer. They knew that I paid attention and that I was a researcher and that I had an eye. Mm-hmm. So that they gave me that chance to try it out. And I really did enjoy it. I really like being right there in the action. I really like, you know, making sure that they were staying on point with the script, making sure, you know, continuity wise, if this person had on a yellow shirt yesterday for a scene and we're filming a scene that is, you know, in that same day that their shirt is still the same. So it's like really about paying attention. So I enjoyed that. And it like it heightened my skills as a, a screenwriter as well. Like knowing like, you can write a script, but am I writing a script that's able to be shot and able to actually be done functionally? And that's what script supervising helped me learn. I agree. I, I definitely have been script supervisor several times and you definitely be hustling. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't take no breaks. <laughs> At all. You definitely have to pay attention to everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know that you have your own production company um what made you say as a woman in film this is something that you know you needed to do well I mean it kind of honestly fell in my lap because I only ever really wanted to uh write and direct then once I kind of like learned more about the industry I decided I was like you know what I really don't see myself as a director as I thought I did I see myself more as a writer and the person who actually you know, pushes the project from beginning to end. And I, I didn't know what that meant mm-hmm. at that time, but it was producing. And I just always loved producing um, people's, other people's ideas, even if they weren't mine, I would get excited like it was my idea. So I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to create my own company because I want to obviously produce my ideas, but I want to give other, you know, women of color and people of color chances to get their ideas developed as well, because I don't, as a black person, I only have certain experiences depending on where you grew up. I want to have a full spectrum of stories. So if you want to know about a story from a girl from, you know, Alabama that grew up poor, I'm not from Alabama. I can't really tell that story mm-hmm. authentically. But if I know someone who has it, I can get the story from her, then I can tell it. So I wanted to be able to, you know, have that, um, have that 
realm of space and just have more diversity in the stories that we're being told. Yes, I, I'm the same way. I feel like, um, especially because I'm a brown girl and when I grew up, I was, um, like I was told I could be anything. Like my parents never gave me limits, Mm -hmm. like, but in that list, it was never a filmmaker. Um, Right. Same here. And I just felt like I want to be able to like tell women you can do this. Like, Mm-hmm. And then I want to be able to be like, okay, we can greenlight your project. And with that being said, because I know that you have projects under your belt, I feel like the thing that hinders women and just your opinion, the first thing they say to me is like, I have this really great script and I'm like, I read them like, cause that's what I went to school for. Well, my master's. So I'll read them and they'll be like really good. But their next thing is like, I know I'm not going to get the money for it. So like, how do you, right. how, I guess, do we as filmmakers like combat that? Like, because that's the one thing, like all my friends would tell me that are like so much further than me. They'll be like, just go do it. But how do you convey that to somebody who's never done it? Like the money will come. <laughs> not to sound so cliche. <laughs> I mean, I was just in that position Last year, um, I made my first, uh, well, in 2016, I started raising money for my first film. And honestly, as cliche as it sounds, it's, it's just exactly what you said, like, just do it. I had never, like, fundraised for anything, really, like, ever. Um, and I just, like, I started going to, like, film festivals like, a couple months prior and, like, looking at all these classes on fundraising. I researched all projects that I knew had were fully funded and I started looking at like what they did to get the funding. Um, I just started paying attention and reading and just like, what, what would make someone want to give me money towards this project? How can I make this project relatable to all types of people? So like, just like trying to figure out what's the universal theme in a project can attract money to your project. Like, my first part that I raised money for was about um, two sisters whose mother had gone to prison. They were trying to kind of like figure out how to live their life without their mother. So I, you know, I made all types of videos about my experience because both my parents have been incarcerated before. So people just seeing me open up about that story, they were like, wow, like we never knew that about you. So sharing something like that attracts people to me because they wanted to empathize with me or they knew someone that had the same story. Mm-hmm. So they gave money because they connected with that. And then I had people who were like, they had been teachers of kids that had gone through the same thing. And they were like, wow, like now I understand why they, this kid was like this. So they gave money because they wanted that kid to have a story finally. So it's just like so many ways you could, you got, like I said, you just got to make it relatable to people so that they feel like they're invested in something that is, is connected to them, but it's also going to serve other people. But it's, I mean, it is. It's still difficult for even today, like to find uh, investors for it. That's why I've kind of like, as much as I want to get investors, I sometimes just go to like my resources of people that I know like directly to me and be like, hey, if you even if you don't have funding to help me fund this project, what can you give me? Like, can you let me borrow your camera? Can you let me shoot in shooting your space for free? Like, I can take those resources over money because it's still gonna happen if I have what I need, you know? 
Right. But so, but it's definitely a difficult problem for us to um to get money for. I think that if we work together though, mm-hmm. I think if we like kind of like collectively come together. I think that'd be the best way to get money for our projects. I agree. And in the process of you getting funding, um, did you get all of your funding before you started shooting or did you start shooting and you hadn't reached your goal yet? Oh, so for uh, my short film, Third, I, um, so basically I funded everything prior to the film, except for like maybe like a thousand dollars. So I did an Indiegogo, um, Indiegogo funding campaign. I was trying to raise 10000 I raised about 3500 on there, which was extremely hard to do and exhausting. It was because it was me by myself doing everything. Um, and then I had an event where I raised another, like, maybe, like, five or $6,000 just at an event where I sold tickets and I had people come, like, talk on a panel. Mm-hmm. And then the, the last money, I was down to, like, the week before, and I just really had to, like, really, like, talk to all my family members and friends. And, you know, I got the money last minute. Like, my mentor randomly gave me $500. My aunt gave me some money. Like, it was just, like, random, but it was last minute. And I really thought I wasn't going to make it. I just kept praying. I just kept, like, pushing. I kept pushing forward as if, like, I already had the money in my pocket, even mm-hmm. though I know I didn't. I But I wouldn't stop. Because I'm like, it's $1,000. Like, I'm going to get it eventually, like. If God brought me this far, he's going to get me the money. So you just got to keep pushing. Even when physically you don't have what you need, like it's going to show up some type of way. And I think maybe that's the case too. Uh, Do you think that, you know, pride holds people back? Because that's the first thing people are like, oh, nobody's going to donate or I don't want to be like stalking people for money. Do you think that's a difference between men and women? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, well, specifically, I think that black women, we don't ever want to um, kind of admit that we need help. Mm-hmm. And we, we're kind of taught to like keep this mask on, like we got it all together and we doing good and we live in lavish and all this other stuff. But that's not the case. That's not reality. Reality was I had moved to Atlanta. I was living with family. I was saving every dime that I had towards this project and it still wasn't enough. Then I had to, like, I moved in with my best friend. I'm, like, sleeping on the couch trying to get this money. Like, it was, that's how committed I was to the project. And then sometimes it was hard. Like, it felt like it was, like, embarrassing to feel like I had, like, gone so low in life for a, a project that I didn't even really know what, what it would do for sure. Like, I was banging my life on a short film, not really knowing what would really happen, but I knew that the story was important. So it does, like, people don't talk about how, like, how your mental and your confidence gets tested when you're going after your um your dream. Mm-hmm. So I think it definitely does like mess with your pride, but you have to look beyond that and realize that that story is more important than your pride and what people think who at the end of the day, they're still in the same position. They're not trying to move forward in life and you are. So you have to just take that, you take that what you think is an L, but it's really not and just go with it. Right. I agree. And I think, too, that's important for even um, uh, filmmakers to even be honest about Mm -hmm. the process, because a lot of times we'll see the film and we're like, oh, they, you know, 
they got their film out there, but we don't know what it took for them to get it out there. Yeah. Like I, let me tell you, I would, I, I have a list of like, I think I called like almost 500 people to try to raise 10. Now mind you, $10,000 is really not a lot of money in, in reality, Mm -hmm. in the bigger aspect of things, Mm -hmm. but it still was hard to get. Like I even had like, I have friends and family that I know for a fact could have gave a lot, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes you got to realize, like, you can't take it personal. Mm-hmm. I, a couple of times, did take it personal, but I had to, like, you know, think about it, sit back and be like, you know what? They don't have to do it if they don't want right. to. You know, they don't have to support you. But it's hard to accept that sometimes. But you really learn who your friends and your family are when you do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you definitely do. <laughs> yeah, you do. In a heartbeat. And so I know that is your project and that I call everybody's project their baby. And I always feel yeah. like um, your projects choose you. And I yep. know that it was relatable, relatable to you because of um, somewhat of your experience. And mm-hmm. I heard that you want to be able to turn this into a TV series, which I think will be pretty dope. Um, yeah. So what do you need to do in order for that to happen? So I have um, written the pilot already and, you know, I'm passing it around now to, you know, people in the industry that I trust. So they're giving me notes on it. Um, so basically I am, you know, doing my best to set up meetings with producers who have relationships with networks and platforms. So, you know, what I, what I need is basically, you know, an opportunity to sit down with a producer that I feel like could get my product to the next level and who could get it sold. So that, that's really what I need. Like, cause I, it's written. I know that it's good. Um, so it's just, it's just waiting for that time to align for the line with the best producer or production company that is, you know, that has more resources that I have right now to actually put together a, a well, um, a well quality pilot. So do you have an agent or are you doing this all yourself? So I am um, in the process of getting a lawyer who will kind of like double as a agent. They do about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm basically trying to choose a lawyer right now, deciding who I want to go with and then have the lawyer pitch it to different producers and production companies. Okay. All right. Well, I hope that on that end that everything works out. Cause I definitely would be, be willing to watch it. Cause it seems like it would be great. And I feel like it's something that needs to be told because it's so prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, and I think, you know, even through the short film, I've, I've screened at a couple of film festivals and people have like come up to me. It's really amazing to me how people still feel like this thing is such a, like they have to be so they have to hide it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've met 40, 50 year old women who are like hiding the fact that their, their father had been in jail when like in the eighties or the early nineties and they were still hiding that and they were still embarrassed about it. They never shared like shared it with anyone. Or or they had, uh, you know, a husband or a mm-hmm. wife that was in prison and they're still hiding it to their child. So it's just like, it's just crazy how it's such a hidden thing and nobody's talking about it, but it's happening 
like wildfire. So nice. it's just it's weird to me. Maybe because you know, like I was, I knew where my parents were, and I I was never embarrassed about mm-hmm. it. I I honestly felt like I was a stronger person because of it, and it made me you know proud to be like you know what my parents were in prison, but guess what I still came out you know, intelligent, I'm still doing good, I still, you know, I didn't become a, a teenage mother or everything that they expect you to be because your parent is in prison, I surpassed all those, you know, roadblocks, which shows other kids they can do it too. Yeah, I agree. So as a filmmaker, because you do wear a lot of hats, you have your own production company, you are a screenwriter, you're a producer, how do you stay creative? Like, what do you do during those times that you feel like you may have writer's block? Um, because I know that it happens to a lot of people. So what do you do to mm-hmm. keep your creativity up? What inspires you? What inspires me is like staying, staying uh, present and what's going on around me. So like, I know a lot of people like avoid like Facebook because mm-hmm. Facebook can get crazy, but yes, I personally stay plugged. <laughs> <laughs> I stay plugged into Facebook on an observant level because mm-hmm. you can honestly get some of the most amazing stories from Facebook because people share a lot of information about themselves mm-hmm. and what they're going through. So like I stay in tune with like Facebook and like social media, on, like I said, on an observant level. So not like it's, I'm personally in it, but mm-hmm. I'm watching it to see what's going on. So I do that. Um, I do yoga as well to kind of keep my mind clear and, you know, filter it out. Uh, but also, like, going out in the community and just, like, being around other creative people and hearing people's ideas, like, what they're working on. Like, I have a lot of um, my film tribe sisters, and we kind of talk about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they might tell me an idea that they got. And I'm like, oh, that's dope. Like, that's so cool. And them telling me that will, like, revise something in me, like, I had an old idea from two years ago that I never, like, fully developed, and I go back and look at my idea and just, like, refresh it because I, I'm hearing other refreshing stories around me. So definitely, like, just being around, like, really good creatives. But one thing that really, really has always, always made me stay creative since I was young is water. Mm. So, like... Being being around water, taking a shower from if I have writer's block, um, listening to water sounds like off like Spotify or like YouTube. Like I don't know for me, like water kind of like clears my mind and it, it flows everything out. I agree. Like that's why I can't wait until it's warm again because I go sit by the water. Yeah, I'll go sit there and yeah. By the time I leave, I'm like okay, like. I'm all the way together. <laughs> yeah, so something about that water. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, so I know that everybody who's listening is going to want me to ask this one question. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do at Tyler Perry Studios? Like, what is your job? So I basically assist um, just like production heads um, for... TV shows and for the dramas, um, basically, it's you, I'm doing everything. I'm assisting everyone in the production department, um, pretty much. Whether it is going to pick up, you know, equipment that we need, 
whether it's like going over contracts for our actors or um, what else am I doing, which is I'm doing so much. Really, I work a lot with contracts, though, like sending actors their contracts, having them go over their contracts. Um, also keeping, you know, everything organized, all the files that we have organized. This is this like anything you think an assistant would do for production. And do you find that contracts, um, and I'm glad you brought that up, do you feel that contracts is a weak area for people who are just starting production companies? Yes, for sure. Um, and I had a bad experience with that as well. Like when I first started, I didn't have an actor sign a contract before we started shooting. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like in middle middle of the a project didn't want to shoot anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was a problem. So um, definitely like, have all your contracts signed before the actor ever sets on foot to the set. Um, another thing that people don't realize um, is film insurance. Like for my first short, I had to get film insurance because I was working with kids. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to take that risk of something happening to a kid. And film insurance is expensive. Like I think I, it was like almost $1,500 mm. just for insurance for a couple of like, it was for a week, I believe. So like, just like being mindful of like contracts and, like health and safety hazards while you're on set because as a as the person that is heading show running or producing like you're responsible for everybody on set mm-hmm. and if anything happens to somebody like you are you pretty much are in trouble and it could ruin your career so it's like even as an indie filmmaker make everybody sign a contract mm-hmm. everybody it don't matter if you're not getting paid or not make them sign a contract that's good advice and for the indie filmmakers, what would you suggest suggest for them as far as where is a good reference for getting contracts? Um, a lot of uh, stuff that I have learned was um, before I got into like the actual production um, side of things. Mm-hmm. I used to use um, nofilmschool.com a mm-hmm. lot to kind of get like templates for um, contracts. Uh, I listen to Indie Film Hustle podcast, and he has a website too, so I kind of like use that as reference a lot. But also, just like um, I used to reach out to like teachers too, mm. like teachers that taught um, mm-hmm. film production, and a lot of them will have like templates of like contracts. That's a good. Anybody has gone to school for it, or like you're even like even like a local community college if they teach screenwriting or any type of like production, they would have like templates or examples of that okay that's a good suggestion so everybody knows our drill at the end i always ask what are you watching right now and what are you reading right now oh those are good questions so what i am totally obsessing over right now is this new series on netflix called seven seconds Oh my gosh. Okay, um, now I have to watch it. My friend texted me about yes. it and I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> it's really good. Get into it tonight. It's really good. Um, and what I'm reading right now is I'm actually reading a book called Story by Robert McKee. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, character development and plots and stuff like that. Just kind of like, you know, I'm always trying to be a better writer as much as I can. So, so I'm reading. Okay, that's a good suggestion. I need to get that. 
since mm-hmm. I have promised <laughs> my creative tribe that I'm going to start back writing more. <laughs> I know. It's Listen, I try to like, even my thing is, even if I'm not writing a script every day, I'm writing down, like I have a gratitude journal. So I mm-hmm. do that every day. And I also have like this notebook where I just answer this, like you answer random questions about life. Mm-hmm. I make sure I do one of those every day, even if I'm not working on a script or something. It just, just to be writing is like, is just building that muscle every day. And what, is it a, a specific book? Like I need to get that book where the one where you um, said. Yeah. Let me, mm-hmm. It is, it's called 712 More Things to Write About. Okay. I'm going to order that. I need it. Yeah. So it, and it's, it's random questions that you would never really think about, but it, it puts you into a critical thinking space and it makes you write. Thank you. I need that. I'm going to share that with You're my, welcome. <laughs> my tribe. So what is the next for you? Um, what's next for me is I am about to, in the next month, write my next feature. This is the second one I've written, mm-hmm. but, um, I think this one is going to be the one that, you know, you can write something and you're like, yeah, I wrote it, but I don't really love it. But this story, I'm a little bit more passionate about than the first time. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to um, start writing it. Um, and also, I am just really trying to, you know, pitch this serve um, series idea. And I have another idea that I'm trying to pitch. So I'm really like more so about like trying to really sell some things this year mm-hmm. and kind of get in the door of like, you know, getting some deals. So we'll see. Okay. So how can our listeners keep up with you, your social media, your website? So they can keep up with me on Instagram at visioner her, which is V I S I O N A R H E R. Um, as for Instagram and Facebook, this is my name, Akia McKnight, which is fine. They can follow me on there as well. Um, I'm getting a new website done right now, but if they want to keep up with Serve, they can go to servefilm.com and that's served, S-E-R-V-E-D-F-I-L-M.com. They can do that. Um, but they also can follow, I'm sorry, I almost forgot. They also can follow, um, Visionaire Her Productions on Instagram, they can follow that as well. Okay. So make sure that you all connect with her and show support. And you know that you can follow us at the Creative Outsiders um, or Instagram and Facebook. And you can also go on my Instagram. It's Siobhan underscore Adrian. And you know, I tell y'all, I try to post up there, but I end up just posting about my nephew. So don't judge me. Um, And make sure that until next time that you're not just out there talking about it, but you are out there living your dreams and making it happen. And thanks for listening to the show and make sure that you subscribe so you can keep up with us and make sure that you also give us feedback so we can know how to better help and serve you as filmmakers. So until next time, take care.